If you guys want to go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 3. So, uh, I won't be preaching about any uh, bears or candlesticks or anything like that tonight that's in Revelation. I'm going to be preaching to the church. Um, what a... Let me just go ahead and open in prayer real quick. Father, as we come before You this evening, God, I stand before You, Lord, a, a man in need of Your unction, Lord. God, help me, Lord. Speak Your words to Your people this night, God. They don't need to hear from me something I've dreamed up or thought up, Lord, but they need to hear from You. And God, I pray that You would convey that through me this very night, God. Give them ears to hear and eyes to see, Father. Glorify Yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage I'll be preaching tonight is Revelation 3, verses 14-22. through 22. Now before I get started, what I'm preaching, uh, part of it, you don't hear it preached to the church. Um, I believe that one of the main Scriptures we're going to focus on tonight is taken out of context many, many times. Um, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, but I guess, I guess in, before I get to the, all that, I think it's so very important that we study the Word on our own. And whenever we study, we've got to study and let the Scriptures tell us what they mean, not letting us tell the Scriptures what they mean. Does that make sense? So we need to read it without a preconceived idea or a preconceived notion of what it says. And when we do that, uh, that's when God will really speak to us. Uh, I know myself, uh, it, the, I grew up in the same church for a lot of years, uh, as many of you have, um, and we're taught a certain way, we're preached to a certain way and all that, and we kind of have in our minds that this is what the Bible says, and our pastor has taught us this and went over with us, but we have, we have in our mind what the Bible says, but when we really start diving and digging in, we'll find out it says something sometimes entirely different or sometimes a little bit different. Uh, so tonight we're going to see one of those Scriptures. But uh, we'll go ahead and uh, start verses 14 and we're just going to read through the entire uh, passage. And it says, And to the angel, this is Jesus speaking to John, telling him what to write down to tell the churches. Uh, so, verse 14, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would I would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from the gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, 
I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Alright, so we find here, once again, Jesus speaking to John, telling him what to write to the church of Laodicea. The first thing we need to realize is that he is writing to the church. He's not writing to the world. He's not writing to lost people who aren't going to read this letter. He is writing to the church. He's writing to us. So we've got to get that in our mind first. So when he says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. Would I would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. It, you notice how it says that? It just overemphasizes that point three times. He wishes that we were cold or hot. That they were cold or hot. The one thing we have to understand about Laodicea and the little bit of study I did, I found that Laodicea was dependent upon external water supplies from the hot springs at Hierapolis and from Coloss. Now, Hierapolis had hot springs and they had built an aqueduct that was about six miles long to get from the hot springs to the city of Laodicea. So undoubtedly, during the six miles of travel, that the water went from being hot to lukewarm. So Jesus is telling these people that they are lukewarm. So they can understand, they can relate to what lukewarm is. Have you ever had a, a bottle of water in your in your vehicle or something and it's on a summer day and you leave it in there for maybe an hour or so and come back out and you're like, well, it, it can't be that hot yet or anything. And you take a drink and it, I have literally done this. I have literally spit it out of my mouth. It's disgusting because it is lukewarm. That's what Jesus is saying to the church at Laodicea. He's saying, just as you don't like this lukewarm water that you get, I don't like the way you are. Um, now, the thing we have to understand about lukewarm, and I kind of got ahead of myself, is when we think about this, hot water has a purpose and has uses. Cold water has a purpose and has uses also. So I don't believe, it says, I wish that you were hot or cold. I believe um, that if you were cold, that that's not, he, he's not wishing that you would be cold, meaning cold meaning lost or unsaved. I believe that cold or hot, that it's, it's not like cold is lost, hot is saved. I believe that they are both, uh, both as an example of a Christian. Uh, I, I don't believe that lukewarm means you're lost and hot or cold. Or, I'm trying to explain this. That hot means you're saved, lukewarm means you're lost, cold means you're lost. I don't believe that. I believe that what he's talking about is that I wish you were one or the other. You were hot, you were good, on fire for God or whatever. Uh, you were cold, good. I don't. Be, does that make sense? I believe that lukewarm it has no purpose. That's what I'm trying to say. And I totally got ahead of myself and I messed that all up. But I believe, I don't, because he says he does not wish that any would perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he's not saying I wish you were lost. Or I wish you were saved. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm trying. I'm trying. Okay. So, but he wants us not to be lukewarm, which they understood what lukewarm was. So, he tells them that he would spit them out of his mouth 
because they are lukewarm. And he tells them why they're lukewarm. Forgive me, I don't have a lot of notes tonight either, uh, which may be good. Um, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. So, another thing about Laodicea, it was a great center of banking and finance. So they were very wealthy people. Um, uh, A little bit of study I did found that in 60 A.D., that the whole city was destroyed by an earthquake, and they actually refused the Roman Empire's help to rebuild. That they had enough wealth and finance in the city to do it on them on their own. So they did not need uh, help from anyone else to do it. So they were they taken pride in their wealth, in their finances, in their riches, and all that. Um, and that's one of the reasons they were lukewarm. I think that we, as uh, Christians in this day and age, that we can too much depend on our own finances. Uh, especially here in the in the United States of America, we're wealthier than 95% of the world, uh, and we we have so much that we uh, think we've gained on our own, and we decide we don't need the Lord after that. You know, the Bible tells us that uh, it's easier for a uh, camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into heaven, and. That's not re- that's not referring to an actual eye of a needle that you sew with. It's referring to a gate in a city, the wall that was very low, and the camels would actually have to get on their knees and crawl through it. So it's not impossible, but it is difficult for a rich man to enter into heaven. And I think with our culture being that we are richer than most of the world, I think it is difficult for us as Americans, uh, even the American church, uh, so-called church, uh, a lot of people think they're saved and they're lost. Uh, they depend upon their everything of their own. They depend on, on their own finances. And when we have money, we think we don't need the Lord. So it says that they were lukewarm because of uh, they, they thought they were rich. Um, 17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. And he's talking to the church here. Remember this. These people said, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I'm not going to go into all that right there. Uh, 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. Um, So you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. So another thing that Laodicea was known for was it was a great center for manufacturing clothing, uh, especially soft black wool from local sheep that they had there. A lot of shepherds, uh, I guess they had bred uh, black sheep. Um, so I, I kind of find it interesting that he tells them uh, uncertainly uh, that they kind of prided themselves in their manufacturing skills and their, their prime wool, if you will, and he tells them that let me so, so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. So he's, he's telling them basically, let me give you the clothes. Let me give you the white garments so you may clothe yourself. In that, in that mind, uh, in my mind, that kind of almost says, you know, come here. Let me cleanse you. You know, let me give you white garments. Let me cleanse you of your sin and your 
your unrighteousness. Now, I'm trying to get somewhere, so I'm moving through this. Um, and salve, this is verse 18, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Another thing that Laodicea was known for was their medicine. Medicine especially for ears and the eyes. They had a stone, uh, I forget what it was called, but they would grind up the powder and mix it with water or something and they would make eye salve and it would, it would cure people's eyes. Uh, and that was one thing that, that they were especially known for there. Um, and he tells them even, and he wants to give them salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So here they think that they, undoubtedly I'm sure they think they see or that they can aid themselves in seeing by using this medicine. And I just thought, uh, you know, how, how many times as, as we as Christians, as the church, that we think we see what's going on and we, like, even if uh, in our lives we, we think we see where God's going, but He's going an entirely different way. Or we think we've got things figured out, but it's entirely a different thing. Uh, that we truly have no clue. That our, our wisdom is foolishness to God. Um, but he, once again, He tells them, let me give you salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Verse 19, He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. We know the Lord loves, uh, chastens the ones that He loves. Uh, he tells us to be zealous and repent here. In verse 20, this is where I was wanting to get. Um, I knew I wasn't going to be long this night. Excuse me. Verse 20, this is the Scripture I was talking about. So many times when we hear this Scripture preached, we hear it preached to lost people, to sinners. But we find here that in context, it is actually written to the church. Verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, or come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So we have Jesus. Have you guys seen those pictures of Jesus standing at the door knocking? I, I saw one of those online when I was studying for this, and I thought, I, I don't know. It just, I guess, I, word picture. I guess it's not a word picture, but just a picture, just kind of set in your mind of things. I don't know. But uh, so behold, I stand at the door. So Jesus is standing at the door of the church, uh, the people's, if you will, door. But if let's let's get this. So if we're all Christians and we're in the church, why is Jesus on the outside of the door? Shouldn't he be on the inside if we're saved, if we're Christians, we're born again on our way to heaven? What's he doing on the outside? So 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 we, we have to take notice first that Jesus is at the door. He stands at the door. Now let's think about this for a second. <clears throat> Could Jesus open the door by Himself and go in? Okay. Could He kick the door in? Could He walk through the door? The Bible tells us there was one account where He walked through a wall. He could walk through the wall even. Uh, walk through the door with it being stationary. 
Um, so what's he doing on the outside? So he stands at the door and knocks. I think uh, so many times that we as Christians, myself included, uh, we get to a place where in our in our house, if you will, in our our lives, where we want Jesus standing at the door. We want him knocking. We even want him saying, "Hey, it's Jesus." It's Jesus. We want all that. He's still within earshot. He can still hear us if we cry out to him. He's close enough that we that we cry out to him, he'll hear us. You know, he's close enough if we uh, do whatever. You know, he's standing at the door. Say we fall, you know, and hurt ourselves bad. We can, Jesus, he can come rushing in the door and save us, help us. He's at arm's reach, though. He, uh, we, we don't, we don't want to tell him to get lost, but we don't want him to come in. We want him just close enough. Where we can see what he's doing, we can pass by the window and look outside. Oh, Jesus is still out there. I see you, Jesus. I see what you're doing. And we can hear him knock every now and again. We see him. We hear him. It's Jesus. Oh, we can still hear his words. We can still hear Jesus speak to us. And that's enough for us. I know uh, it's been easy for me in the past to to get places or get to a place in my in my uh, relationship with the Lord. I want I want to talk about that word too, but uh, where it's just we want to be able to kind of see what's going on, kind of hear a little bit. But we don't want in on the action. We don't want to actually commune with the Lord. We don't want to commune with Jesus. So he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus. Oh, I'll be right there, Jesus. Let me just finish up my uh, my 6 a.m. run in the morning. We'll get together later. That's one of mine. It's me, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, hey, I'll be right there. Let me just finish my five-minute devotional. You know, I mean, serious. Reading, Lord help me. You know, we can read devotionals till we're blue in the face. But if that's all you're doing, that's not communing with the Lord. That's that's not the kind of relationship that He died for us to, to have with Him. That's not what He wants. That's that's keeping Him at arm's arm's length. It's Jesus. Oh hey Jesus. I'll be right there. Let me 
cook dinner, get all the kids done with their homework, eat supper, and get the kids to bed, and I'll be right there. Right there never comes. 10.30 at night when you got everything done, you got to be up at 4.30 the next morning. Right there doesn't happen. It's Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I only got eight and a half hours of sleep last night. Oh, I just, I can't get up. I mean, but seriously, you know, so many of our excuses we, we have and we give to the Lord, they're not right. They're not right at all. You know, he, he wants to come in. He wants to commune with us. He wants to have a close fellowship with us. Um, you know, I'll be honest. Uh, Sunday night, the Lord just broke my heart because He showed me that that's what I've been doing with Him. You know, I was wanting to keep Him at arm's reach or arm's length. And, and I, I wasn't having the communion I had used to with Him. Um, you know, this is to my shame, really. When I was a, a, a young Christian, I, uh, I, I, I mean, I'm not saying this like bragging or anything. Cause like I said, it's to my shame. But when I was a young Christian, I, I kid you not, I prayed two hours every day and I read the Word for an hour every day. I mean, there, there was dimples in the carpet from where my knees were up by my bed. You think my carpet looks like that now? It sure doesn't. I'll be honest, it doesn't. You know, what happened? What happened? You know, I guess you get too busy with with life, circumstances. Sometimes we get too busy teaching our Sunday school class. You know, we get too busy doing other kinds of ministry work. We get too busy... uh, Doing whatever, maybe good things, but that's not what the Lord wants. If you're not spending time with Him on your knees in close intimacy with Him, the rest of it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. You know, we, we go back through in Genesis. We find in Genesis chapter three, and it says. When Adam and Eve, this is the first account of it, Adam and Eve, uh, after they ate the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says that Jesus, or I'm sorry, it says that the Lord walked through the garden in the cool of the day. I can assume, and I believe the passage would lead us to believe, that the Lord walked through the garden in the cool of the day every morning, and that they met with Him every morning. That's what I think. That's what I think. Because they heard Him. They heard Him coming, so they knew what it sounded like when He walked through the garden in the cool of the day. And it says that they hid themselves because they were shameful, because they had eaten the fruit. That, I believe, is what we're supposed to have with the Lord. That's what He intended from the beginning, was a close fellowship, a close walk, a, just the intimacy with Him, where we walk together, we talk together, we're intimate with God. And then obviously sin entered the world, the fall of man. And we find after that, 
First, it was a theocracy where we had fellowship with God. God led the people by Himself. And then after that, we had Moses and Joshua. And then we had judges. And judges weren't good enough. And children of Israel wanted kings and all this. None of this was good enough to get the children of Israel back to God. So Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins and rose on the third day so we could have fellowship with Him. So that broken fellowship, that that broken uh, communion, that that broken intimacy could be restored. That's why He died. That's why He came. That's what it's all about. The one thing, what, I should say, there's several things God can't do. He can't lie. He can't change. Um, another, one, another thing He can't do is He can't make us love Him. He cannot make us love Him. We can be saved, born again, on our way to heaven. He, he, can, he can even cause certain things to happen in our life. If we're in disobedience, he can cause certain things to happen basically to chastise us. <coughs> Excuse me. He can get us to obey Him. I, I believe that. I believe that He can cause enough things to happen in our lives where it, it drives us to Him because we have nothing else. Um, there's, there's, there's just no way He can get us to love Him though. But He wants us to love Him. That's what He desires so he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I'm not a Bible scholar by any means. Uh, I tried to study a little bit of this and I, it was tough for me to find much on it, honestly. But, but the Jews ate two meals a day. They would, from what I understand, they would eat a breakfast and they would eat a dinner or supper, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but basically, they're, when they would eat, you guys have all seen the picture of the Last Supper where they're on the short table and they're all sitting on the floor. That's what they would do. They, they didn't have bowls and plates and forks and knives and all that stuff like we do now. From my understanding, basically, there would be big bowls in the middle of the table and everyone would reach into the same bowl with their hands. And uh, is that how you eat, Chris? Amen. So, but everybody, what's that? Amen. So everybody would reach into the same bowl and eat the same food. But I can, I can just imagine, I, I've heard it said, and I can't verify this, but basically that at supper time is when the man of the house would... Uh, kind of see how things, you know, essentially how we think of it maybe. See how things went that day, you know, maybe disciple, uh, you know, his children, lead his wife, you know, different things like that. So I, I think that, that dinner time in the Jewish culture was very important. And I believe that that's why it states that here. Do I understand it all? I don't. Not by any means um, of the imagination. But I believe that it was it was a very personal time where you would share, you know, feelings, emotions, happenings of the day, thoughts of the day, thoughts on life, 
what your plans were for tomorrow or the future. You know, this, that, and the other. But the important things of life, I believe, were shared at the dinner table. And I believe that's what the Lord has in mind here when He says that He will come in and eat with us. Uh, the King James says, sup with Him. Um, and He with me. You know, um, I just, I think it was is designed to be very intimate. You know, a very... A very close personal time uh, with the person you were, you know, communing with, that you were dining with. Um, let me let me back up a second. We we think about Jesus. Okay, if you know if your house is a mess and you know you have a guest coming over in thirty minutes, what's the first thing you do? You start cleaning. What do you not need to do if Jesus is coming knocking at your door? You don't need to clean. Let me tell you this. You don't need to do anything if Jesus is knocking at your door. Why? He knows it all. There's absolutely nothing you can do to deserve or earn His grace for Him to come into your home. There's nothing you can do to clean it up enough to make it be presentable to Him. Absolutely nothing. He knows it all. He's seen it all. It doesn't matter to Him. He just wants to come in. So getting back to the, the eat with Him. And, and us, it says, I will come in to Him and eat with Him and He with me. You know, I, I believe that the Lord wants a very close, intimate relationship with us. Um, you know, not just uh, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, you know. I mean, it's so easy. Seriously, it's easy to get into the routine where you're praying for your meals, praying at bedtime, read your five-minute devotional and that's good. But that's not what He wants. That's the easy thing to do. That's the easy thing to do. That's, that's not much of a relationship. You know, we talk about, oh, come to Jesus. It's, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. Do we really know what that's like? I mean, seriously. Can, can we accurately describe our relationship with the Lord to an unbeliever? Can we? Or do or is our relationship summed up with praying at breakfast, lunch, dinner, bedtime prayer, maybe when I'm about to run out of gas on the highway on the way home, and when I tuck my kids into bed, and when I do my five minute devotional in the morning. I if somebody If we're honest with ourselves, and if that's what I did, and somebody asked me, what do you mean a relationship? And somebody asked me what a relationship with Jesus was like, and that's what I did, I wouldn't want to tell them. I'd be embarrassed. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I've got so far to go. And I tell you, just the other night, the Lord dealt with me about this. 
And it's been easy the last three days to spend time with the Lord. You know? Uh, you know? You know, but it's it's real. You know, it's where God wants a, an intimate relationship with Him. You know, when when... You know, I've heard people say, you know, I don't, I don't really read the Bible. The Lord really ministers to me through songs. Okay. The problem with songs, is there any Scripture in the songs? Is the person that wrote the song or singing it even a Christian? Is there any substance to the songs? I mean, do, what, what's it profit? Probably nothing. Is it is it doctrinally and theologically accurate? Who knows? But that's not what the Lord wants. You know, well, me and me and God, we got our own thing going. See, the Lord speaks to me through Facebook. You know, I I haven't heard anybody say that, but you know, I people people post scriptures on there, and I read them, and I'm just so blessed, and I figure I can just. Tell somebody else, you know, and I, if I see somebody need, has a need, I can send them a message, tell them I'm praying for them. You know, it's all, it's the, it's the all in one thing. Uh, but that's not what the Lord wants. He just wants us. He wants our intimate time with Him. He wants to know. Yeah, it, back up. He does know. He knows everything. There's nothing we can say or do that's new to Him. You know, I, I was listening to a sermon and uh, the guy said, you know, t- just be intimate with the Lord. Tell Him what's on your mind. Tell Him how you feel. Tell Him, you know. Tell Him you, you've got a lustful heart that day. He knows. You know, tell Him you hurt. He knows. Tell Him you're angry at your husband. He knows. You know, why not just be real? That's all he wants. He just wants us. He don't care about if if we're not spending time with God in intimate fellowship, he doesn't care about our ministry. He doesn't care about us feeding the poor and the hungry. He don't care about any of that if we're not intimate with him. If we don't have a close walk with him. You know, one thing I ha- I've noticed when when you walk close with God, it's so much easier to do ministry work because it's it just flows out of you because it's it's natural then because we are then tapping into and living in the new nature that he's given us that's what that's we've got to go vertical with god before we can go horizontal to the world so Chris, you'll go ahead and come. You know, I remember one time, this has probably been eight years ago. This this was the kind of relationship I had with the Lord at the time, I guess. And it kind of it was immature still. Not that I'm not in a lot of ways, I'm sure. Um, but I remember I. Monday through Fridays, we worked 8 to 5, I believe, 8 to 4.30, to 5. And on Saturdays, I had to be at work at 6 a.m. And I, I, I didn't like the mornings as much as I do now. Meg's shouting amen. No. Um, 
I love mornings now. But uh, So I had to be at work at 6 a.m., so I would wake up at like 5. I wake up at like 5.50. I, I went to bed early. I had my alarm set at 5. And uh, I woke up at 5.50. I was like 20 minutes late to work. And uh, I remember I was mad at God. I was mad. I was like, God, why didn't you wake me up? I'm thinking, I did my part. I went to bed early. I set an alarm. Why didn't you wake me up? And I was mad. But I just took it to Him. And, he, you know, and I, I threw a little hissy fit for a little while. And it was kind of one of those Job moments, I think. When, uh, or I said, God, why, why did you wake me up late? And it was like He spoke to me. He said, I didn't have to wake you up at all. You know? So, uh, what, what's the Lord knocking on your heart about tonight? Just let Him come in. Let Him come in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. If you just want a closer walk with the Lord or whatever it may be, if you have needs in your life, these altars are open. You're more than welcome to come pray. Thank you.